Good morning, everyone. Uh, feel free to go ahead and uh, we do have children's church this morning, so if you have any kids who are going to be going to that, go ahead and you can dismiss them. I was joking, I was talking with uh, Vinny earlier, and it was last week we had a ton of kids. It looked like the Israelites out of Egypt because there were so many walking out to go to children's church, which is a good good thing. We always uh, love having kids here, um, so we look forward to that. Uh, so, uh, good morning. My name is Jonathan. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, I get to, uh, I serve here as one of our elders. Um, so, uh, I think I'm actually the only one here today because everyone's out of town, um, which is a good thing sometimes. Uh, so, again, like Vinny said, please be in prayer just for Pillar Dumfries and, and the whole Pillar, Pillar family. Uh, as uh, Vinny mentioned, we certainly are, you know, we, we don't grieve because we have no hope, but we know that uh, Clint is with, with the Lord, and so just be in prayer for them especially as they try to figure out, you know, a sudden loss of a family or a husband and a father, um, and just continue to pray for them. I know J.D. and Brian uh, went up there and were able to, I'm sure, do some great ministry to that family and the church. And, of course, just continue to pray for both of them and Scott as well, because I know they had a good connection with Clint. So just continue to be, to be praying for them. Um, so as you see in your, your, on the screen there, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. We have been walking through Hebrews. Uh, we're kind of taking a pause on it for a few, a few sermons, and then we'll re, uh, I believe, pick that up next week. But today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, so feel free to go ahead and turn there. But imagine with me for a moment. Right? All of a sudden you're sitting at home one day, you get a phone call, and it's from a friend, and you answer the phone, and the person tells you on the other end that they have bad news. One of your best friends has been in a horrible car accident. Right? And your head starts to spin because you know what they say next is probably not going to be good. Everything in your heart tells you that your friend did not survive. And you were prepared to hear those dreadful words. Then you hear one word that changes everything. But. But is a powerful word. It can be both good or bad. And we get to see that from our passage today in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. One of the most important buts in the entire scripture is right here in this passage. So today we want to look at but God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we ask that as we enter into this time of opening up your word, Lord, we thank you that your word never returns void. It always goes out as you send it, and it accomplishes everything you desire for it to accomplish. And so I pray that this morning our hearts would be convicted of of sin, but also if we are here as followers of Jesus Christ, that it would just remind us of who we were before Christ, and now who we are in Christ, and that it would cause us to worship you. And for the person who may be here who does not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that for them right now, that they would be convicted of their sin, and that they would see their desperate need for a Savior, and that they would turn and repent and give their life to Him. So we ask this in your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to see that Paul reminded the Ephesians that they were spiritually dead, but were made alive with Christ Jesus. And Paul's reminding the believers here who they formerly were. Well, and that's a good thing for us today. We need to be reminded, if we're a Christian, who we were before Christ and how he has given us new life in him. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to see three truths that Paul reminds the readers here of the life of the believer. First, we're going to see that Paul shows that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 with me. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. All right, so we see that Paul is starting out with a pretty dark picture of life. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't try to paint this pretty picture of life. He goes right for the jugular. Right? And Paul tells the Ephesians that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. He paints a picture of every single living person. Every person that has ever been born from Adam until the very last person is the same. And so we need to appropriately understand who we are according to God's word. Right? We can't go based off of what society tells us, right? They want to say, hey, you're a good person, right? You, you mess up every now and again, but at the end of the day, you're a good person. Well, according to Scripture, that's not what Scripture tells us. Listen to what Scripture tells us, that we were morally evil, that we're spiritually sick and spiritually blind. Genesis 6-5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Okay, And if that doesn't paint a dark picture, well, he continues. Listen to this that every intent of the faults of his heart were only evil continually. That's a pretty dark place to be, if that's all you're thinking about. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul tells us in Romans three twenty three. right? We Most of us know this by memory, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? None of us can go to the doctor, and get our heart fixed, the way that the scriptures tell us, right? So he tells us here in this passage that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Well, you're probably thinking like, hey, wait a minute, why is there two different words for kind of the same thing? Well, it is pretty much the same thing, but a trespass is a false step, either crossing a line or known boundary or deviation from the right path, right? So if you're saying, hey, stay on this path, then you start to go off, right? A sin, of course, means falling short of a standard. It's kind of like you're going after a certain mark, and you always fall short of it. So what the passage is telling us is that we are dead, right? It says that right there. We are dead in your trespasses and sins. So if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride, right, there's a scene um, that the, one of the main characters, Wesley, dies, and the two of his friends take him to this man named Miracle Max, and they're trying to hopefully get him to help him. And so he gets there, he, Miracle Max looks him over, and he says this. He says, turns out your friend is only mostly dead. See, mostly dead is still slightly alive. And we chuckle at that if you've seen that movie. But the reason I use that is because, church, we are not mostly dead. We are completely dead. There is no life. There is no hope for us. So that's exactly. So if you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is who you are. You are dead in your sins. W.A. Criswell, the longtime pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas, said this. He said, there are no degrees in death. We are not somewhat dead in our trespasses and sins. We are completely dead. Not only we dead, were we dead, look at what the passage says. It says that we were disobedient in verse 2. Sons of disobedience. Well, we, that means that we were in rebellion against God. Right, and Paul shows us that, that we formerly walked in the way of the world and with the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil. So we followed after the evil one. And apart from Christ, every person truly seeks after what they want, what, what brings them joy, what brings them hope, right? There is nothing holding them back from their selfish desires. 
every person, right? That we would, if we were left to our own, we would indulge in the desires of the flesh and the mind, right? We would satisfy our gluttonous appetites. We thought like the world. We were selfish in our reasoning and ultimately rejected God. Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians 1.21, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, you engaged in evil deeds. So the last thing we need to see here about this, these first few verses is that we were by nature children of wrath. That's a scary thing, right? We understand that we are by our very nature sinners. You don't have to teach anyone to sin. If you have kids in this room, you know that you never have to teach your child to sin because they're going to automatically do that or they're going to automatically disobey. They're going to tell a lie. And you don't have to teach them that. So we see that we were born sinners. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, here we are, because all sinned. Every single person in this room is a sinner. Every single person who has ever lived is a sinner and will be a sinner. The year 1346 begins a new year in the history books. Something so awful, so devastating begins in 1346 that would forever change an entire continent. Many think it started in Central Asia and traveled by boat to Europe. A small bacterium known as Yersinia pestis would eventually almost affect affect the entire continental or the continent of Europe. We know it as the plague, the Black Death. The person who contracted the plague would start to show symptoms within a couple of days. They would get gross on their skin, fever, chill, aches, muscle cramps, vomiting, and, and, and many more things. And most people died within two to seven days of contracting it. By the end of 1353, historians believe that an estimated 75 to 200 million people may have died because of the plague across Europe and Asia. It's said that at least the world's population was declined by almost 100 million people. And this plague drastically affected Europe in so many ways that students still study it today, right? I'm sure doctors and all those people study that as well. Right? The plague affected all realms of society, politically, socially, economically, religiously. But church, there is something worse than the plague. There's something worse than Ebola. Mind you, there's something worse than COVID-19. And, there, and that's something that every person is created with. Sin. Sin is the most horrific thing. It affects everything we do. It is the area of our life. There's no area of our life that has not been affected by sin. Sin has a high cost, and we, and we don't think that it does. As Adrian Rogers, a former pastor in Memphis, Tennessee, said this, he said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, I want you to take a second. And remember what your life was like before Christ. That could be 50 years ago. That could be two months ago. But remember what God has done for you. Understand that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That you were eternally separated from God. You had no hope. You had no mercy. You had no grace. You were destined for the wrath of God. You were destined for a place called hell. Church, we must not forget this who we were before Christ came in and changed our life. 
We must not forget that we were utterly hopeless. We were without help. We were dead. We were lost. But God. Look at verses 1 through 4 with me. Or 4 through 7, excuse me. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, everything we've read up to this point now stops in its track. Right, Because God has entered the story. God is about to do something. But God. Well, the question is, what is he going to do here? We have already seen where man stands, right? We were desperate. We were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There seems to be no hope. But God. Right? Man is in a desperate place here. But Paul shows us the second truth concerning fathers of Jesus, right? First, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now, second, we are made alive with Christ. We are made alive with Christ. And and you see here, now we get to the subject of our passage, that God is the subject, right? None of this would be possible without God. If If he was not in the picture, we would be lost forever, And look at what the passage says in verse 4. It says, God being rich in mercy, right? And this is a beautiful thing. He is abundant in mercy, right? He's never going to have some overdraft fee on his mercy. His account is always going to be full. He's never going to exhaust the endless supply of his mercy. Well, what does mercy mean? I think we we hear this term, we think about it, maybe we, we know, but we have seen, right, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Rightfully apart from Christ, we deserve hell. We deserve spiritual death, but God extended his mercy to us. So here's a, here's a great way to remember what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. At church, we deserve an eternity separated from, from Jesus and from God. But God extended his mercy and said, hey, because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have to have that. So Ephesians 1, 7 shows us this. In him, talking about Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So church, because of his love, we are spared the reality of that. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You know what? God did this, all of this because he loved us. Not because we could give him anything or we could offer him anything. We could live a million lifetimes and, and be more righteous every single lifetime and it would still be as filthy rags before him, right? God sent Jesus because he loved us. We know the verse, most strangers or people who don't even know Jesus will know John 3.16. I love how the Christian Standard Bible translates this because I think it, it captures this a little bit better than most. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Right? There's nothing in of us that we can do to make God want to save us. He does that because he loves us. And look at verse 5. Right? It shows us that we were made alive in our, when we were dead in our transgressions. Right? Not when we got help, not when we fixed our problems, not when we pulled ourselves up our own bootstraps. 
know, God loved us when we were in our transgressions, right? We were made alive. Do we understand the gravity of this? We were at the worst we could be. We were the exact opposite of God's standard of perfection. Church, we were supposed to die on the, the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Some of you know, most of you know, probably I'm, I serve as a chaplain here at Lejeune, and if you've ever seen a chaplain, right, we wear a cross on our lapel. And I always use that. Sometimes I point to that and talk to people. I'm like, you think about what the cross is, right? If we have some around here, right, they're more interesting design. What is the cross? It's an instrument of execution. Imagine if you walked in here next Sunday and there were electric chairs hanging up. It's the exact same thing. But for us as Christians, it is much more than an instrument of execution that the Romans perfected and, and created excruciating pain and suffering for the person who was on that cross. Think about it. We, we sing about the blood, right? That's kind of weird at the end of the day. If we truly think about it, we have a, lot of, we have a handful of corpsmen here. Their job is to prevent blood from coming out. But at the end of the day, we know the significance of what the blood of Jesus Christ accomplished for us. Right? We were supposed to be beaten and bruised on that cross. If you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, it's graphic. But that is not even close to what Jesus actually went through. Imagine that, your skin being ripped. Right? We cry over a paper cut. But at the end of the day, Jesus was literally beaten and bruised for each one of you in this room. So we did not have to go and do that. We were supposed to take God's wrath on our bodies. We were supposed to be forsaken and left for an eternity in hell. And that's what verse 5 tells us, right? That we are made alive together with Christ. God, in his mercy, sent Jesus for us. And Paul continues this thought in verse 6, saying that we are raised with him and seated with him. Well, what does that mean? That's kind of an interesting statement that Paul uses. Well, Paul is telling us of a present action as well as a future one. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are immediately seated with him. Our position is in Christ. We are declared righteous before holy God. We are justified before him. So, as one scholar said, our being alive is possible because he, Jesus, was raised to life. Right? Everything we have, all the blessings, all the good things, our salvation is because of Jesus. And any good thing we have is because we have been made alive together with Christ. And look at what it says here in verse 7. God did this so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Well, what does that mean? Again, Paul uses some, some fancy language all the, often, but it's beautiful because it understands this, as one commentator said, what God has done for those in Christ is a reality. But only in the coming ages will it be fully seen for what it is. In the light of God's gracious saving work, believers point men and women from themselves to the one whom they owe their salvation. And so we get to see this, that we get to show off the immeasurable riches of his grace. There once was a man who was, who was very intelligent. He, he was probably at the top of his class and everything he did, but he was a brutal man. Right? He had risen to the top of his career. He was looked up to by many. He was good at what he did. His hatred, though, towards a certain group of people ended up turning violent. He was even in agreement with putting a man to death. Although he physically didn't kill 
this person. He did everything he could to stop the group that he was persecuting. And with his power, he even had them arrested, thrown into jail. One day, he actually went to, to seek out more of these people and have them arrested and even threatened them with murder. But as he was traveling, something happened. But God. Saul, who became Paul, was given new life with Christ. Right? God met him on the road to Damascus and gave him new life. We see exactly what God did in the blessing because without what Paul went through, all, if, if we didn't have Paul, we would have a lot of these books in the New Testament. We would have this beautiful letter to the Ephesians, right? God, in his grace and in his mercy, gave Paul new life. And we have the benefit of that, right? He made him alive. Paul was religious, but never had a relationship with Jesus. But listen to what he said about his life before Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Actually, go ahead and turn over there. Turn over to your, your, we're not far away. we got some time. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Because I want you to hear what Paul is talking about and, and how he knew that he had to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of his life and what God had done. In verse 7 in chapter 3, Paul writes this. He says, But whatever gain I had, talking about his previous life, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and listen to how he describes it, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Wow, that's what Paul is saying about his life before Christ. Because he, like I said, there's another passage where he, he doesn't necessarily brag, but he talks about, if anybody can brag, it's me. Right, because I grew up, I was in the schoolhouse, I, I served under uh, great teachers, uh, rabbis. If anyone has a reason to boast, it's me, it's Paul. But he says, hey, all of that is rubbish in order to know Christ. So he understood how much God had changed his life by redeeming him and saving him from his sins. So we need to understand something here. This is, uh, this is really important for us to, to, to understand. So if you're not looking, look up here. Just because you or we have come to church all our life, we read the Bible, we give our tithe, we've gone to Sunday school, or we go to a small group, we've gone on 1,100 mission trips around the world, and even done other great things, it does not mean you are saved. It doesn't mean anything. We, there are plenty of religious people out there I, served, I went seven weeks in Nepal during college and was around mainly Buddhists. They are, I think, sometimes arguably more religious than we are. Plain and simple. It's not enough to be religious. Right? We can even do all the things that Paul did and still be missing Jesus. Right? If God had not intervened in Paul's life, Paul would have just been another Pharisee on the journey of Pharisees who missed out on the Messiah. So church, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ. 
right? He must not be just some deity that you think is cool, he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher. No, he must be your Lord and Savior. You must repent of your sin and accept his forgiveness. You have to be made alive with Christ. That's an intentional language that Paul uses. So I want you to take a second and think, has there been a time in my life, I'm not asking for a particular date on the calendar, but has there been a time in your life that you have realized that you needed a Savior, that the only answer was Jesus and His blood, and that you've repented from your sins and placed your faith in Him? I hope and pray that there is, and if there, if there is not that time that you can think of, please, Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the other church members in this church, and we will walk you through that. It is simple. It is understanding that you are in need of a Savior, that Jesus died on the cross for you, and that all you've got to do is place your faith in Jesus. It's so simple. Don't complicate it. Right? So we can just walk you through that here at the end of the sermon. Paul has taken us on a journey from death the life. So he finally shows how we've been saved. So the first two truths we talked about was right, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And secondly, that we were made alive with Christ. And finally, for the believer, the last truth is that we have been saved by grace through faith. We have been saved by grace through faith. Look at verses 8 through 10. It says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So go back to verse 5 with me. Okay, I didn't forget this part. I didn't, I didn't read it, but I didn't really talk about it. It says, by grace you have been saved. Right, so it's kind of almost like Paul was writing here in verse 5. He's like, okay, let me make this note. Hey, you've been great. by grace you've been saved. And then let me keep going on in verses uh, up to verse 8. And then he's like, wait a minute, I need to remind them again. Hey, by grace you have been saved. And then verse 8 is where he picks this up again. He says that we are saved by grace. Right? One of my favorite preachers of old is a, is a pastor from England named Martin Lowell, Martin. Lloyd Jones. He was actually a pastor and a physician for a while. He says this about verse 8, and I love how he talks about it. He says, let us remind ourselves once more that grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. It is an action which arises entirely, listen, from the gracious character of God. Salvation is something that comes to us entirely from God's side. It comes to us in spite of ourselves. And that's a beautiful way to remind ourselves of what grace is. Another way to think of it is this. Remember what we said about mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. Right? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, right? And then grace is getting what we don't deserve, right? We deserve an eternity separated from from God. But because of his mercy, he, he sent Jesus and gives us the opportunity to, to not have that, right? To not have to pay the full penalty of our sin. And we do not deserve forgiveness. We do not deserve to spend eternity with Jesus. But he gives us his grace when we don't deserve it. 
And church, this is important for us to understand, right? We all deserve God's wrath for our sin. We deserve an eternity in hell. But God extended both his grace and his mercy to send, by sending Jesus on the cross. All right, we received his grace because we don't deserve salvation, but God gives it to us anyway through Jesus. We do deserve his wrath and hell, but he doesn't give it to us because of Jesus. Notice the theme here, right? It's about Jesus. And we don't do anything to reserve this grace. It's given to us by God. Acts 15, 11. Luke wrote, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. So all of us have faith, right? It says that right there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We all have faith. We exercise it daily. So none of us probably came in this room, and when you sat down in, in the chair, you probably didn't pick it up, you probably didn't turn it over, make sure you, it's going to carry your weight when you sit down. You just had faith that when you sat down, the chair would support your weight, right? It's the exact same thing, right? Faith is to believe in something. One, that the chair will hold you up when you sit, right? We have faith that the sun will rise at some point tomorrow or today. Hopefully you have faith that there will be coffee available in the morning, right? We, we put faith in so many things. It's to rely on something. And Paul told the Romans how to have faith. Listen to what he said in Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, here we are, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice it didn't say you might be saved. It said you will be saved, right? It's... it's it's definitive that what God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. You don't have to doubt, right? You, you just put your faith in that. Paul says that if you believe, you will be saved. And Paul continues here in, in our, our passage here saying that it is a free gift of God, right? Not something done of works. And we understand that works is a part of, of salvation, or not of salvation, but of our walk with Christ. Right, there's nothing we as humans can do to earn salvation. Absolutely not. We can't do enough ties. We can't do enough fill in the blank. We must know that a million lifetimes could not bring about salvation. It's only a free gift of God. Just like any gift you've ever been given, like at Christmas, right? The only thing you have to do is receive it. Nothing else. Putting your faith in Him, in the trusted work and finished work of Jesus on the cross. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, Who has saved us, talking about God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So again, as a reminder, we can do nothing. We cannot work for our salvation. And when we understand that we cannot do that, there is no room for us to boast in anything. Like he says in verse 9, not a result of works so that one may boast. Right? We can go do all the good things. We can, we can be, go to seminary. We can do fill in the blank. Doesn't mean anything in regards to your salvation. Right? God will not let anyone take credit for what he alone is responsible for, and that is salvation. Unless you think you brought anything to the table, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Right? This goes back to the, that question that a lot of lost people will ask. Like, oh, well, why would a good God send good people to hell. Two, two things wrong with that. God doesn't send anyone to hell. They send themselves there because they refuse to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And secondly, there is no one who is good. We're not good. 
Sorry to burst your bubble, but you are not a good person. We've already read what we are, right? That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 10 shows us here how we stand before God with Christ, right? Not, after, not before. We are his workmanship, right? This is, this is a beautiful word here. We are a new creation. We are no longer dead in our sins. We are a finished product, right? We are a finished product created in Christ Jesus, and we are created for good works. Now, you're probably like, wait, wait a minute. You just said works doesn't have anything to do with it. It doesn't have anything to do with salvation, how we become saved. But Paul, Paul is not saying that. He's not saying, hey, work, good work saves us. What Paul is saying is that if we claim to be saved, good works will follow us and bear fruit in our life. James 2.14 tells us this. It says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? He continued that theme in verse 17 of the same chapter. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. There are a lot of people out there who are lost and go do good works. And arguably, sometimes the lost people in the world do a better job of doing good works than the church does in the world. So what we see here, right, it's not about doing good works to gain salvation, it's we do works because salvation has already been done for us. We don't have to do good works to gain it, right? We stand complete in Christ, and now we go do works because we want to be obedient to the Father. We want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So from the beginning of time, God has desired for us to be in a relationship with Him. right? From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God had a plan of redemption. Actually, before that, it wasn't like, oh, my goodness, what do I got to do now, Right? Adam and Eve sinned, now I've got to figure out how to fix this. No, God always had a plan of sending Jesus to the cross. There's a beautiful painting somewhere, I need to find it again, but it's a picture of Jesus as a little baby or toddler, walking at least. And it's Joseph is in the background, right? And we know Joseph was a carpenter. And, and in the picture, you see Jesus, the baby Jesus, your toddler, bending down and picking up a nail. And the shadow of Jesus is the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus came for. He, wasn't, he didn't come to be a good prophet or a good teacher. He came to die on the cross. He came to bring us salvation. So what Paul is getting at here is saying, hey, we do good works because of that, because we get to worship him, we get to serve him. It's not a duty to do good works. It shouldn't be anyway, right? It's kind of the quintessential illustration of like, if, we, if you're married in this room or you, know, you, you buy your wife flowers for the anniversary is like oh well i'm doing it because it's my duty i'm not going to work well for you guys if you do it that way you do it because you love your wife and we do good works because we love jesus and he calls us to be obedient so paul is saying we do this because we are new creations we we, we don't want to do the things that we used to but we walk in this newness of life and paul connects verse 10 back to verse 1 when he says walk in them, that we should walk in them, comparing to how we formerly walked in the world, right? And hopefully you remember that. What your life was like, what are the things you did before you knew Jesus? It probably wasn't a lot of good things. So we know that salvation comes by grace through faith, and that we must place our faith in him to make us a new creation. A pastor tells the story of a famous actor who was the guest of honor at a dinner. 
He was asked during the dinner to recite different poems and literary passages for the people in attendance because they wanted to hear him. And an old pastor stood up and said, hey, recite Psalm 23. Well, the actor agreed on one condition, that the pastor would also recite it after he was finished. So the actor's recitation was eloquent and done with dramatic emphasis, and of course he got applause after he was done. And then the pastor stood up. His voice was rough and broken from years of preaching throughout the years. It wasn't eloquent, it wasn't dramatic like the actor. But when he finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And when someone asked this actor, he said, what was the difference? The actor replied and said, I know the psalm, but he knew the shepherd. My friend, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the one who can save you from your sins? He's waiting on you. All you have to do is place your faith in him. So if you're in this room and you haven't done that, why not? Why have you not given your life to Christ? But believers, remember your life before Christ. Remember what he has saved you from. He has made you alive with Christ. You are a new creation. You have been saved by grace through faith. Rejoice in him, worship him, and thank him for your salvation. And again, I turn to the lost person who might be here. Run to him. He is waiting. He wants you to repent of your sins and turn to him. Don't worry what comes after. Come, turn your life to him. Today is the day of salvation. Look to the cross. Understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Place your faith in Jesus and God will forgive you. You will be a new creation. Pray with me. God, we thank you. Lord, for the gospel, we thank you for the good news of salvation. That no matter what we do, if we are in Christ, we have forgiveness. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that we will be reminded of this beautiful and wonderful truth of that you have redeemed us from the curse of sin. Lord, you have made us alive with Christ. Lord, we once were formally alienated. We were children of wrath. But you have redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have made us alive with Christ. You have called us to good works. Lord, we ask that we would just be reminded of that. We would, we would not just look over this passage and think, oh, that's a great passage. I've heard that before. But at the end of the day, we would stop in our tracks and we would be reminded of who we were before Christ. And ultimately, how you have forever changed your life with Christ. And so, God, I pray for each believer here that they would be in all of you today, that they would worship you in spirit and in truth. But Lord, I also pray for anyone who, who may not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that they would repent and turn from their sins today before they leave this church. God, we, we know that you work in ways that we can't explain. You use situations in people's lives to bring them to a relationship with you. And I pray that that would be true today for that person who may not know you. I pray that you would give them the courage to come and talk to myself or, or someone who can walk them and following after Jesus Christ, that they would understand that they are sinners, that there is a great Savior who died on the cross for them, that if they repent and believe in that truth they will, and, and seek forgiveness of their sins, that they will have eternal life, and their life will be forever changed. So 
God, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship through song, Lord, and we sing about the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, that we've sung and heard this song thousands of times probably if we've grown up in church, but I pray that today it would cause us to burst out in worship because we understand the grace that you extended to us when we did not deserve it. So God, we thank you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.